Hi, this is Ananda, President of the Hare Krishna Community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Malati Devi. Malati, uh, for those who... How many of you know Malati? Okay, great. Most of you know Malati. So, um, you know, she's just been this amazing devotee and still is an amazing devotee. Uh, was one of the first uh, Prabhupada disciples and one of the six... Uh, disciples, three couples that went to London um, on Srila Prabhupada's request to start a Krishna Conscious Center, a temple in London back in 1968. Went to London. Uh, she was part of the crew that actually connected with George Harrison and the Beatles. And as they say, the rest is history. Um, but we're hoping to hear a lot of that today. She had a lot of very personal uh, association with Srila Prabhupada, the founder of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. And um, he's known for many things, a brilliant scholar, a, a, you know, a pure devotee of Krishna, an excellent teacher. Um, and uh, he, she and many of those who were with Srila Prabhupada when he was here uh, saw also how he lived into this notion, this, this uh, teaching of humility and how that is so much part of the bhakti practice. So we're hoping to hear lots of great stories uh, today from uh, Malti Prabhu. She's currently a GBC, travels the world to teach, uh, stationed in New Vrindavan and um, uh, keeps us all feeling valued and loved and welcomed in so please. I'll just launch without your tongue. That's fine. Time is yeah. So please give a very warm welcome to Malati Prabhu. Hey Krishna. Can you hear? Is that okay? Just a little bit up. Namaste <laughs> Jaya Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhar Sri Vasari Gaurabhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama Rama Hare 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 Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Ram Hare Ram 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 Hare Hare Vanshakalpa Taruvyascha Kripa Sindhu Vaivyascha Patitanam Pavanevimbyo Vaishnavebyo Namo Namaha are there new folks among us today who haven't been here and are not familiar with Krishna consciousness? 
Hello, welcome, Hare Krishna. <laughs> Are you from the area? Are you come from out of town? Thank you so much for coming. And you have some idea about the... Okay. We'll try to not leave you in the dust. <laughs> so we opened with a, um, a slight inv an invocation expressing our um, gratitude to our spiritual teachers who has given us spiritual knowledge and the way it's expressed is opened our eyes that were darkened with the torchlight of knowledge. Yeah. And then we offered prayers to Srila Prabhupada, who is the founder of this Hare Krishna movement, and then to the their lordships, it's called Panchatattva, five great souls who were headed by Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who was actually the, you could say, the original founder of the Hare Krishna movement in the modern age. That was 500 years plus ago. And then the final one was offering our respects to all the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord who are just like desired trees and full of compassion for all souls. You know. So um, the request was that I speak on the greatness of Srila Prabhupada through humility. <clears throat> so in the dictionary, it says that humility, lowly, or meek, submissive, um, Sanskrit word, amanitvam, amanitvam. In the Bhagavad Gita, there is... 26 qualities of a devotee that are named in the 13th chapter. First one is this humility. And it's considered to be the first item of knowledge. In fact, in order to gain spiritual knowledge, one is, humility is required. Prabhupada defined this humility as the process of knowledge. He, de he defined it as the humility means one should not be anxious to have the recognition or glorification of others or to be honored by others. One shouldn't be anxious for that. And he said that is actually a material deception. And the process of knowledge, you get the knowledge by being humble, terminates in unalloyed devotional service to the Supreme Lord. Lord Krishna. So Srila Prabhupada was, for most of us, the emblem of humility. It started with his journey from Calcutta to America in 1965, when he stepped on a cargo ship to cross seven seas and oceans. So a cargo ship isn't known for comfort. Like, a few years ago, I went with a group of devotees, a fairly large group of devotees, and we took a cruise uh, starting from England and then to various ports of call in, in Europe and back again. And it was quite nice. You know, I had a room with a balcony, and all of our um, facilities were just very well taken care of and they even allowed us something that was unheard of I guess in, in normal cruise ships they allowed us to prepare prasadam 
So it was very nice. And every port of call we got off, and we had people already knew, knowing that we were coming, people from the press, the local politicians and leaders, and they would meet us, and we'd have Harinam Sankirtan through the streets. Prabhupada had no fanfare in a cargo ship with a small dark room and a little porthole out to see just the waves of the ocean. And he left alone from Calcutta Harbor. Uh, there were five people there to see him off. His son, Rindabande. There was a man who had attended a few of his classes or lectures, his talks, and he heard, he read in the paper, oh, this Swami Bhaktivedanta is going to America on this such and such a day, August 17, 1965. That's interesting. Whoever, people didn't go to America in those days, especially from India, and especially the holy men or the priest or the sadhu. Sadhu means like a saintly person. So this was quite curious. Perhaps I will go see him off. There was a person from the, um, what do you call it, immigration, to see, you know, do those finalities. And then there was a person from the actual shipping company itself. So that was it. You know, it wasn't like a grand fanfare. That was a very humble thing to do and a very brave thing to do at the age of 69, just on the cusp of turning 70, which he did turn 70 in the middle of the ocean somewhere, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And while he was in the middle of that Atlantic Ocean, he kept a small diary. It's not like page by page filled with writings, but there are some very... Um, poignant passages there because he's there's other people on the ship the people of the crew he was the only passenger and these were people who were you know seamen they were they were not um, Vaishnav devotees they weren't devotees of God they weren't vegetarian you know <laughs> it's like so he was looking like he was alone but by, in his own words, Krishna was always with him. And he wrote this little prayer into the lotus feet of Lord Krishna in this diary that he was keeping. Although my Guru Maharaj ordered me to accomplish this mission, I'm not worthy or fit to do so. I'm very fallen and insignificant. Now sometimes when we hear these kind of words nowadays, we're thinking, oh, this person must have some self-esteem problems. But actually this person had no problems at all. He was filled with spiritual knowledge and bliss. And these expressions, such as I just read, are of genuine humility, not of low self-esteem or some psychological derangement. Therefore, O Lord, now I am begging you for your mercy so that I may become worthy. For you are the wisest and most experienced of all. If you bestow your power by serving the spiritual master one attains the absolute truth and one's life becomes successful if that service is attained then one becomes happy and gets your association due to the good fortune so this was Prabhupada's mood he was not a proud person he was not advertising himself as he approached Boston Harbor, which is where the boat, the boat um, 
first docked and you went through the customs formality, there was a beautiful um, prayer, Markani Bhagavat. And there's the final portion of the prayer. You know, he's saying, you, well, you must have, in the beginning, you must have some reason to bring me to this horrible place, you know, speaking about a marriage, you know, otherwise, what am I doing here? You must have something for me to do. And the end, he says, so if you like, you can make me dance. Make me dance, make me dance. He's submitting himself fully to the Supreme Lord. As his early and young disciples, we were fascinated by that concept of, I'm just a puppet, that was the point, I'm just a puppet in your hands. If you like, you can make me dance, you can make me dance. One disciple said, Swamiji, I'm just your puppet. And Prabhupada said, yes. I want you to dance this way, but you are dancing that way. We didn't quite understand. <laughs> when he first was there in New York City without any welcome, in fact, the only welcome he had was from a fellow from an association called Traveler's Aid, which means they try to help you find out where to go or where not to go. In this case, he had tickets for Prabhupada on a Greyhound bus out of the uh, main terminal and taking him to Butler, Pennsylvania, which was not a very, you know, with all due respects, it wasn't the most glorious town on the map. And it was probably, um, you know, not a place to start a worldwide movement, which he quickly realized. So when he came back to New York, all alone, still all alone. And by the way, when he went to Butler, Pennsylvania, he was staying at the home of his sponsors. He didn't have his own room. Like, we just had this wonderful conference, and all of us pretty much had our own rooms. Prabhupada slept on the couch in the front room because the people only had a small apartment. And the husband and wife had a baby, so they stayed in the only bedroom. Prabhupada was on a couch. No. He made no complaints. They weren't even a vegetarian household. He shared the refrigerator with non-veg items without complaint. But he was very, very clever. He cooked for them. And this way they didn't have to cook for themselves, and they liked his cooking, and therefore during his brief stay, they honored vegetarian Krishna Prasadam. And this cooking was something, sometimes ISKCON is known as the kitchen religion because of the quality of cooking. So Srila Prabhupada was attracting his first disciples in a very unique way. He was cooking and serving them Krishna Prasadam, although they didn't quite maybe understand that part of it, that it was food that was prepared for and offered to Lord, to Lord Krishna. Not only did he cook for us, but after, they, after everybody would eat, there was just a small handful of young men at that point that would get up and walk away and leave their plates on the floor, leaving Swamiji or Srila Prabhupada to pick them up and wash them himself. After some time, one young man who had been coming for a little while, he noticed that. And he said, Swamiji, is there anything I can do to help? And Prabhupada said, 
I thought you would never ask. <laughs> the Hare Krishna movement began, had a very humble beginning. It was under an American elm tree in a park in the Lower East Side called Tompkins Square Park. Tompkins Square Park has about 10.5 acres and quite a lot of trees. Prabhupada would come and sit under this one tree and by himself with a little drum, a little tiny drum called a bongo drum. You have to be pretty old to know what a bongo drum is because that was like these drums were kind of like in the 50s and very early 60s um, used by people called beatniks. So some one of those beatniks had gives, given this little drum to Srila Prabhupada and he'd sit and play it. And that's a very sacred drum now, and for your information, you can take darshan of that drum in New Vrindavan at Srila Prabhupada's palace, the very drum that he played at Pumpkin Square Park. So he sat under this American elm tree, a very humble tree, Trinadapi Sinichita, Torarapi Sahishana, that humility, this is how you chant with humility, and the tree is seen as a very humble species. Why? Because it's just standing. It's giving shade when needed. Sometimes somebody comes and whacks off one of his branches. Sometimes they just cut the whole tree down. And there's no protest, there's no backlash. So this Hare Krishna tree um, still standing. And if you go on the website for Tompkins Square Park, which I did this morning, among the attractions is, the first attraction is actually the Hare Krishna tree. <laughs> On October 9th of 1966, Srila Prabhupada sat under that tree, started playing, and a group followed, began to join him in this chanting, and someone recorded it, and it was the first recorded kirtan of the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra in the West. That was October 9th in 1966. Srila Prabhupada, with great humility, left New York City at the call of some young folks, myself being one of them, led by Mukunda Goswami, but at the time Adhikari, and he came to San Francisco. And in San Francisco he was greeted by about 50 young people and news people and Allen Ginsberg, who had been the, he was a beatnik poet and he had an early interest in Krishna consciousness because he had not interest to practice it because he frankly said he couldn't follow those rules and regulations, but he liked chanting Hare Krishna. So um, at that airport, including one dog, if you, if you look at the little video for San Francisco Airport, 68 January, Srila Prabhupada's arrival, You'll see one little happy dog. That was our dog, Ralph, myself, and Jim Cinder. He didn't say, he didn't, you know, like, oh, you got a dog, you got rid of the dog. He didn't say anything. And we came back, and the dog would come right in the temple. And he was a quiet, well-behaved dog. But one day, Prabhupada, as he was leaving, and the dog was leaving with him, and we were all leaving, he stopped, and he goes, Perhaps it is better if the dog stays outside of the temple. <laughs> you know, perhaps it is better. We took him to this mantra rock dance because we had been associated with all these 
burgeoning rock and roll groups. And we thought, here's a way to, to get known quickly. Here's a way to make some quick cash because we definitely needed to pay the rent of this building that we had found 20, um, on Frederick Street for the first, the second temple. And we took him into this place, this big, huge, dark cavern called Avalon Ballroom. I don't know how to describe it in such a way that those of you who are more innocent and pious could possibly understand. <laughs> but what I can tell you, it was a huge place filled with crazy people and <laughs> filled with smoke, smoke coming from incense, but most of it was coming from different types of herbs that people were smoking. And there was these lights, it was called a light show, and the light show was specifically calibrated to make your mind get a little out of joint, you know, to like so you couldn't see anything clearly. And everywhere around you saw shadowy figures of these people, these, I mean, nobody looked at all in sync with anybody else. And every single one of the four regulative principles was being broken <laughs> in plain sight in most cases, and we brought him there. As he was leaving that place, he commented, I was up, in, actually I was up on the balcony and I was looking down, and so, I mean, just like a few minutes ago, so to speak, in my life, I had frequented this very place, it was a place you went to, you know, and suddenly with just a few days of association with this saintly personality, I saw the whole thing with different eyes. And as I looked down and I saw Srila Prabhupada Swamiji coming out into that place on the stage with this whole chaos going on around, I felt kind of like a mother who saw the, seeing her kid run out into the freeway. Like I felt like it was a dangerous place and we shouldn't have brought him there. But I couldn't do anything. I couldn't stop it. The show was going on. After he did his part, what he he could understand these people were in no, they had no ability to hear properly at that point. So he spoke really shortly, really concisely, and uh, short kirtan, and and left. I was standing by the door when he came to go out, and he he looked back. This is no place for a brahmachari. <laughs> Brahmachari meaning a celibate student. Our initiation, the first initiation in San Francisco was just a few days after his arrival. And there were a few persons that had come from New York, so they kind of knew the score. They knew how things should happen. But the rest of us didn't. We had no clue. And I was given a list of items to get for this initiation. And it was still a mystery. It was very a mystery to us what was going to happen, but we knew one thing. There was going to be a fire in the temple, right inside the building. And that, for our little minds, was quite exotic to have a fire inside the temple, inside the building. You know. So on the little list it said, you know, some sticks of wood, some colored powder, some bricks, some sand, and five pounds of butter. 
five pounds of butter. What do you want five pounds of butter for? It's pretty costly. And a person who knew a little more than I did from New York said, we're going to put it on the fire. And my little practical American untrained mind, I was, what? That's a waste. What a waste, you know, <laughs> not having any idea of yagya and fire sacrifices. But the, it went on, and our little room was packed. I would say it was about, more or less about half the size of the space from the back wall up to the altar, maybe even a little less, maybe from Prabhupada's Vyasa sign to the altar. So in one way it was, you know, when we talk about the old days, we're always saying, well, the temple was packed, but keep in mind the temples were quite smaller in those days, so packing was not that difficult, especially if you were going to have something happening that was going to be really um, unique and exciting and different, and this was certainly going to be one of those things. So, so many people had come to see this Swami and to see this ancient fire ceremony that featured a fire in the temple. And when I arrived, the temple was already filled with people and filled with smoke, the smoke from the incense, and also filled with different aromas and air, because the hippies like to put on these essential oils, particularly patchouli, and it would, because they didn't always have access to taking baths, so instead of taking baths, they liberally doused themselves with different scented oils. So we sat down in front of the fire. There were four of us. And Swamiji was on the other side of the fire pit, which were the bricks and then the sand and the colored and the incense. And everybody was asked to chant. They had pieces of cardboard, little little card, um, like mantra cards. And even us, we were still trying to get the sequence of the chanting in order. You know, like we'd have to look at where the Haris and Krishnas and Ramas felt. And he spoke. And the part where you get the neck beads came in those days. We did the neck beads are the symbol of the initiation that you become a, well, we call them our dog collar. Oh, God, I wasn't watching the time either. <laughs> Sorry to remember this here. Okay. So um, when you got your dog collar, when you got your neck beads, that was it. And we didn't have screw clasps. We tied them on, and you were never going to take them off. So now they're coming closer, those neck beads, and I'm thinking, others are thinking, oh, my God, this is, if once these are on, that's it. We're, we're, we're locked in. And I remember looking at the door thinking, well, I could get out and run out, but I didn't do it. <laughs> and then we were given a name, and then we were handed a banana, and we're looking at the banana. What do you do? Well, you peel a banana, don't you? So we started peeling the banana, and then we were told, no, 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 it's going to go on the fire. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and then Swamiji said something to us, and we didn't, you know, he, he, he knew English, but his English was like the British English with a Scottish twang because he went to the Scottish Church College. So he kind of was, we didn't know what he was saying. But we turned to the former Harvey Cohen, who just had gotten initiated, and now he was Hari Das, and he was going to be our temple president, and he'd been to New York and seen Swamiji there, so for sure he'd know what to do. 
And we did exactly what he did. He got on his, up on his knees. We got up on our knees. He leaned forward. We leaned forward. And he started blowing on the fire. We started blowing on the fire. And all the smoke and the fire split. And we saw the eyes of Srila Prabhupada, Swamiji's eyes, like really big, round eyes. And we could understand maybe that's what he didn't mean. <laughs> and he picked up a pair of cartels and he began a kirtan. He was trying to tell us to bow down. Something, a disciple, a, re a newly initiated disciple, somebody here outside the door stopped me when I came in. She said she'd just gotten initiated today. So I'm sure she would know you, you have to bow, you bow down in gratitude to your spiritual master. But we didn't know that and he had to tell us. So, and you know, at the time we didn't realize it so much. It was in reflection that we realized the genuine greatness of Srila Prabhupada and his humility that he could accept such fallen creatures as we were, as his disciples. I'm just looking at the time because I have to stop at a certain point. Um, many times people will come up, even to us, but certainly to Srila Prabhupada, and they would say, give me your mercy. Give me your mercy. I call it MOD, mercy on demand. <laughs> Srila Prabhupada, before he came, he was preparing to come to America. And he went to the Radha Damodar temple where he had stayed, where he finished up his translation of the first volume of the Bhagavatam. And he was staying there, an unknown sadhu, an unknown saintly person. Next door, there was another temple. And the pujari from that other temple was relating how every night, every 12.30 to 1.30 at night, he was hearing some noise, someone calling from the courtyard of the Ramada Damodar temple. So finally one night, he got up on the roof to look over and see who was it and what was going on. And by the light of the moon, he saw Swamiji, Srila Prabhupada, with a jaru. Who, who, among, who here knows what the jaru? I thought more of the Indians would know. In India, you get a stick and you tie straws to it, and it becomes a broom. It's called a jaru. So he had one of those type of, of, of brooms. And he was sweeping the courtyard of the Samadhi area, of Rupa Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, and he was calling out, as he was sweeping, Oh, Gurudev, please give me your mercy. Rup Sanatan, please give me your mercy. He was begging for the mercy of his Guru Maharaj and the previous Acharyas, particularly Rupa Goswami. And he was doing something to earn that mercy. He was sweeping in the darkness. He wasn't doing any show bottle, give me your mercy and grabbing at the feet. Later, right before his departure, a few days before the departure, he went to the temple in, um, in Sridham Mayapur, where they used to hold Srivasangam, where they would, Lord Chaitanya would hold his kirtans at night. And there was a pujari who saw this person in saffron, because now he's a sannyasi come in, an unknown person, and sit and chant very earnestly. 
And suddenly he realized, I've seen this person before. Years ago, he would come, he was wearing white. He was a grihasta. And he would come and sit and chant with the same intensity. He didn't want to disturb him, so he didn't say anything. But after he was finished chanting, he saw the pujari and he came up with great humility and begged the pujari for his blessings. And he told him, I am leaving on a terrible journey. My spiritual master has requested that I go and preach in the West. And I'm leaving. Please give me your, your blessings that I may serve my Guru Maharaj. Please give me your mercy. This was the beautiful mood of Srila Prabhupada. He wasn't a MOD, mercy on demand. He was begging mercy and indicating by his example that he wanted it. So, as some of you may have read Chasing the Rhinos with, by Shamsunder, has anybody here read that book? No. It's a book by Srila Prabhupada's um, servant for two and a half years, Shamsunder Das. <laughs> lift it up, lift it up. <laughs> you might wonder, what does this mean? And Shamsundar, you see, Srila Prabhupada, he said, my only disease is that I, I didn't think little. So he said, if you're going to go hunting, you should hunt for a rhino because they're very big creatures. And if you don't get one, people say, well, what do you expect? They're so big. But if you get one, they'll say, wow, that was really good. So there was a, a phrase, you know, chasing the rhinos. If, if you go after a big project, do something big. And Srila Prabhupada said, I couldn't think small. It was always trying to chase a rhino. So in his service as a servant to Srila Prabhupada, Shamsinder would use that phrase, chasing the rhinos with, Srila, with Swamiji. So I was just going to read a few excerpts. Um, we have five minutes left of this part. And a few excerpts from that book. And I've got a few, um, if anybody is interested, there's a few packages here you can take that give you a little more information about the second edition. On the afternoon of October 2nd, this would be 70, not many noticed the tiny two-propeller DC-3 with Bosco, B-A-S-C-O, marking slowly steer its way through the barricades and wreckage on the runway of Cairo International Airport. This was the plane 11 of us plus my little baby, while well, she was the 11th, took to go to India on the request of Srila Prabhupada. He said, now is the time to begin our World Sankirtan party. And he called us to meet him there. So not having tons of money, or any money at all, we found the cheapest one-way ticket we could get. This was a prop plane. It wasn't even a jet. And it was actually, like Prabhupada took a cargo ship. This was a cargo airplane, but a little one. <laughs> and it kept having to land here and there to get refueled. At one place we landed, and I remember, we where, where are we? It was like the desert, and up came a big... A big, um, like a big round, huge thing on the back of a of a, a cart drawn by two camels, 
and by hand they were filling this this airplane. <laughs> there was this cord going from the cockpit going right through the airplane, and it turned out I was like, "What is this thing for? This string or cord?" It was metal, and it was like when the pilot had to make a turn, he was like pulling that so it would like at the end of the, you know, the rudder to, to get the turn made, you know. The bathroom just had a burlap sack and a hole in the floor, and you had to be careful not to fall in it. <laughs> so this, this is our plane that we were taking to, on our way to, um, to India. So few remarks. So the plane lands in Cairo. We have to get some, you know, more fuel, and we're all falling out of that plane. The all eleven of us, including my daughter. The, at that point, she's like about two and a half years old, and as we get down, we're hit by this blast of heat, and we're being escorted by army men with these like what would be like an AKA automatic rifle, but it was a Russian version, and. Uh, they took us to a shaded part of the terminal and we're standing out there and then we just, we looked around at each other and we just, the instigator for getting us going was Giryaj, Giryaj Brahmachari at the time. And we just started kirtan, you know, surrounded by these, guard, these guys with these guns and at one point, Giriar started dancing in such a way, you know how we, if you ever look at, I mean, you know what it's like trying to look at a picture of a kirtan and devotees are dancing and everybody's going up and down. But the guy had his gun trained on Giriar just going, just going up and down. <laughs> it was like, what in Allah's name is going on here? <laughs> And people came from all over just like looking over the ba banister. What is going on here? And this was the first, they were witness to the first wave of the World Sankirtan Party. Eleven souls. And we literally, you know, in typical Hare Krishna fashion, were totally oblivious to our surroundings. Srila <laughs> Prabhupada told us in the olden days, in the earlier times, the Maharajas would keep elephants as a symbol of great wealth. And of all the elephants, a white elephant was the most precious of elephants. It was like the supreme. So if a Maharaj happened to get a British wife, they used to say he was keeping a white elephant. <laughs> Prabhupada said, now you American boys and girls, you are my white elephants. Everyone is seeing my dancing white elephants. And we roared with laughter. And the name sticks. Prabhupada's dancing white elephants. <laughs> so my time is finished. Somehow I can't seem to get things as much as I'd like to tell you in my time frame. But I hope that in some way... There was, I mean, really, the theme is humility. Everything that Srila Prabhupada did required great humility because he wasn't going, going where he was known into known situations. In, in some places, like, we didn't know how to treat a spiritual master, a saintly person. And devotees told me, you know, in certain times, it's like this one temple, there was only one bathroom for everybody, including Srila Prabhupada. And he would stand in line 
to use it along with the rest, and the devotees didn't think, oh, please, you go ahead, you know. Humility is a sign of greatness. And Srila Prabhupada was the greatest of the great in our hearts. Hare Krishna. <laughs> So I'm, if you have some questions or comments or reactions. <laughs> I just wondered, because I'm planning a trip to India, and I'm very interested in Dharma. Did, did uh, Prabhupada ever speak to you about Dharma, the concept? Yes. Dharma, you're asking is norm sometimes interpreted as religion or duty. Yeah. Dharma, Prabhupada explained to us, is like the essence. The essence of water is liquidity, but sometimes it gets turns into ice, but its dharma is liquid. And our dharma as spirit souls, we're not this body, we're spirit soul, is service to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. That is dharma. Okay. Yeah. Just shout. <laughs> By the time the microphone gets there. <laughs> Madhiji, it's not a question, but I just have a request. I don't know if you have the time, but if you could tell us the story of how you found Lord, Lord Jagannath. Would you have? I mean, I could it's do that. Really Let's take a quick audience, audience vote, a poll. You know, because that will probably end the question and answer period. Okay. I mean, some people might not even know what you're talking about. I found Lord Jagannath. How he, was he lost? Did I? You know. <laughs> but a long time ago, way back in the ancient times, about 52 years ago, <laughs> before many of you in this room were even born, and and the Hare Krishna movement started. <laughs> so, okay. The second temple was in San Francisco. I was initiated right after Srila Prabhupada came, and it was the first initiation in the West Coast. There were no deities in New York, which was the first temple, and of course none in San Francisco. Now, how truthful should I be about this story? <laughs> um, A little backtrack is that most of us, myself included, we came from a background of a hippie lifestyle. And there were certain aspects of that hippie lifestyle that were actually congenial to Krishna consciousness philosophy. One of those was that the hippies believed that nobody owned anything. But that's where it ended. Krishna consciousness, nobody owns anything. It all belongs to Krishna. So the real ownership was explained. So the hippies had this habit of, since nobody owns anything, you can take what you want. In other words, steal. <laughs> 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 
because nobody owns anything, right? So you can steal. We didn't call it stealing. We called it liberating. <laughs> and um, the wonderful thing is when we became devotees, we found out you could do anything for Krishna. And, you know, he owns everything. So in my mind, yeah, you can steal for Krishna too. And I had this bad habit of stealing. Um, not from people directly, you know, but like I'd go into a grocery store, I'd fill a cart up, and I'd walk out. I didn't go through the paycheck process, you know, the checkout process. So when I became a devotee, one of my, it was my first service, was to um, cook every day for whoever came. And, you know, we would get sometimes up to 100 people, and it would cost money, which we didn't have. And so this was kind of a useful way to get boga. <laughs> but a lot of our things were changing. Um, you know, like we couldn't use cooking oil anymore. We had to use liquid gold, ghee, pure ghee. That was great, but it was very costly, the butter. But then Krishna made this wonderful arrangement, at least that's how I saw it, that every day, a, and I'll connect this with, with Juggernauts, every day a Dairy, dairy truck would come and park right in front of the temple. And across the street, <laughs> you can see where this is going. <laughs> but the, 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 the driver would come, he'd fill up a big tray, and then he'd shut the door. But he couldn't lock it because his hand had the tray, and he was going across the street to the corner store. Hmm. <laughs> I went out, I opened the door, and by this time I knew that you should not take more than you need. sarvam, <laughs> you know? I took two pounds every day, five days a week. That was ten pounds a week, that's what I needed. <laughs> and I was, it was Krishna's arrangement, right? That truck came and I was doing it for Krishna. That was my... So... And this one day I went down to the wharf, you know, the sea, sea in San Francisco, there's a sea, there's a wharf where boats come in, and there was a store down there where the hippies liked to go shopping because it had very colorful, cheap imported items, clothing, and um, somehow I walked in there and then I thought, what am I doing in here? I don't even have any money, and I started walking out, and just as I was going out, I saw these three barrels, wooden barrels, and each one had some little carved wooden figurine, really colorful-looking little things. And I picked one up. It had a black face with big red eyes and a smile. And the bottom of it was a little sticker, made in India. And I was like, wow. My very immature mentality goes, Swamiji's from India. Halava's from India. The Hare Krishna Mahamantra is from India. And I put him in my pocket and walked out. <laughs> so I brought him to my apartment. And in those days, we didn't have furniture, not even a chair. We slept smack on the floor. I had one piece of furniture. It came with the place. It was a table in the kitchen, which was useful for cutting things up. But on the fireplace, there was a, a shelf, so I put him there. And... In the Leelamrit, which has a few things wrong, this is one of them, um, it says that I brought him to Prabhupada. No, I didn't. Shamsundar and Mukunda, after some time, thought, let's see what Swamiji has to say about this. You know, So they took him to Prabhupada. 
But it happened to be I was downstairs cooking. Prabhupada's um, room was above the temple. So backtrack a little bit. Now Jagannath is in Swamiji's room. But a few days before that, um, I was in Swamiji's room. And Swamiji said to me, because he could see out from the window over the street, he goes, I see every day you go to a truck. (laughs) He goes, and it's just curiosity, what are you doing? Well, suddenly I felt a little strange about what I was doing. And I was thinking how to answer him without saying, oh, I'm stealing butter. So I said, truthfully, I said, I'm getting butter. And he says, oh, Krishna was also a butter thief. (laughs) I did not take that as an endorsement. For the first time, I got a little fog came out of my brain because I was starting to understand Krishna came in the human-like form, but he did a lot of things that we as humans couldn't or shouldn't do. And for the first time, I realized stealing was probably one of the things I shouldn't do. And Prabhupada didn't say anything. That's all he said. But I got from that realization. And from that point on, I stopped stealing. But I'd already stolen Lord Jagannath. I mean, you know, it said a pure devotee can control the Lord. So I'm not a pure devotee. That wasn't the intimation. But here the Lord was like, inducing me in his, in his own way because knowing he knows everybody, he knows the heart of all the living entities and somehow he wanted to show up in San Francisco in our little temple so somehow at that moment my propensity for stealing was used to capture Lord Juggernaut. So Prabhupada, I came up and Prabhupada said so, you know, he, first of all they put him down, he made, his, he made obeisances so you have gotten, he says, no malati, bring her here. So one of the his servants ran down and called me. And there was an elevator in the building. But I was young, and I could run faster than the elevator. So you know, I ran upstairs. I remember I shut off the stove. I ran upstairs. And when I entered his room, because I didn't know why he was calling me, I saw that little juggernaut sitting on his trunk that he used as a table. And suddenly I felt a little apprehensive, like, oh no, I'm caught again. And I'm not even stealing anymore. I felt like, you know, a little anxious. But he said, so you have found? And I said, yes. And then he said, so were there others? And I got feeling a little less anxious. I said, yes, lots. He remained very sober. He says, no, two others, different. Yeah, that yellow-faced one, the white-faced one, yes. He said, bring them. And then, (laughs) he didn't say steal them, he just said bring them. (laughs) Then he he says, this is Lord Juggernaut. Juggernaut means Lord of the universe. And he turned to Shamsundra, can you carve large size? And he indicated a height with his hand. Shamsundra immediately agreed, yes. Now, he liked working with wood, although he had, a, he had gone to college, went to Reed College in, Or- in Oregon, and he'd gone to college in Switzerland also on an exchange student thing. 
he had two degrees. One was in German literature, which, you know, really a practical thing, and the other was in <laughs> something, something else equally impractical, you know. So, and he, you know, he got them, but he liked working with wood. He liked doing things, but he'd never, he had never sculptured. But right away, yes. This was the most wonderful thing about Srila Prabhupada was how he, we talk about empowerment. We hear that a lot, empowerment. What is it? You know, what is it? It means when you can actually give somebody the inspiration and ability to do something that they normally would not have been able to do or would not have thought of doing. And when Srila Prabhupada would ask you to do something, yes, you didn't think whether you could do it or not. You did it. You wanted to do it because you wanted to please him because there was a loving relationship going on. And when you love somebody, you want to please them. It's a natural, natural thing. So he told us how the um, original Jagannath was carved, that he came from a big log that came in from the ocean, and how the people were trying to carve him, but their equipment would break, and then there was this one fellow who was practically blind, and he said he would do it, but there was one stipulation and he couldn't be interrupted and if he did he would just stop right then and there and as you know he got interrupted because the king got anxious he didn't hear the tapping you know chisel going for a while and he what you know he opens up and then the guy said that's it I'm finished why did you interrupt me he goes because I didn't hear the chisel tapping he goes I was taking a rest you know it was like you know he was been going anyway we we went to a place where um, stuff would come in from the ocean and be collected. And we did find a really large log that could be divided into three. I'm fast-forwarding here because two minutes. And we're able, um, Shamsundar was able to duplicate on a larger scale these little replicas of Lord Juggernaut deities. And thus, the first deities to be worshipped in America, not just, not only the first deities, the first Juggernaut deities in America, but the first deities in Iskand to be worshipped in America. And the installation was not like you experienced today. It was quite a simple affair. We didn't even have Giwiks. If you had said Giwik, we wouldn't even have known what you were talking about. Instead, we had candles. Prabhupada told us, put the candles on a tray, and everybody will take the tray and use the word wave it, make circles around. There was incense everywhere. Everybody had incense and was... Offering, and this is how I got the idea for the Radastami festival, you know, from this. Um, and I remember looking at Janaki. Tears were pouring down her eyes. Janaki, the first lady disciple of Srila Prabhupada in the first initiation. And at first I was saying something wrong. I didn't say it, but I'm looking at her. And she goes, he's here. He's really here. She was looking at Lord Jagannath. And she was seeing his presence. And she understood Lord Jagannath was really here. He wasn't just a piece of colorfully painted wood. He was really here. It was so beautiful. And we had gone, we would go around and tell people. We'd go out in the street fearlessly. Would you like to see God? Do you want to see God? Do you want to see God? Come on, come on, we'll show you God. And we'd bring them to the temple and they would see the smiling face of Lord Juggernaut. <laughs> one time, really quick one, one time um, a beautiful devotee named Saridiya, she left her body a couple of years ago, um, very young when she joined. 
And uh, she didn't like that she had to go to finish high school, but Prabhupada told her she had to finish. So she was still thinking, but I, she would like to get out of going to school. So Prabhupada came to San Francisco, and she had something to tell him that she thought, if I tell him this, he'll say, oh, very bad, you shouldn't go. Swamiji, the boys bother me. Oh? Yes, they want to come and see me after school. Oh? Yes, they asked for my address. Oh, when they ask for your address, give them the address of the temple. And, <laughs> and then they'll see the smiling face of Lord Jagannath. <laughs> Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Stay there. Thank you so much. Um, where are those Jagannath deities now? In San Francisco? Berkeley. Berkeley. Yeah. The, just really quick. The first, the first ones are in Berkeley Temple. And the final ones he carved are in London. So if you go, the, the ones in between were New York and L.A., they've been replaced due to different reasons. But the ones in, in Berkeley and the ones in London, these are the original ones carved by Shamsundar. He carved four pairs. Yeah. And don't forget the rhinos, chasing the rhinos. <laughs> if you're interested, you can take one of these little pack information right, packets. Right, and we will um, order, make an order for... for Chasing Rhinos 2. I think we have Chasing Rhinos 1, maybe in the book corner, but we'll, get, we'll order the second book as well because it's an amazing read. Yeah, this is the second book that if you pre-order, it's going to print, so pre-order it and then yeah. it'll come in a few months. We need the pre-orders. We'll be faster than a few months. We need a pre-orders, the pre-orders to get the money to, to pay the for printing. the printing. That's how I did the first one. And quick, really, quick. you know, I can say that when I first, first read the first two words, I was thinking, oh my God, how will the Indians relate to this? But I'm telling you, I've had more people from Indian bodies reading this book saying, this is fantastic. My kids are reading it. They like it, you know. And it's like, um, it's a very colorful, unpolished reality picture of the early Hare Krishna movement. And the second volume is about all the adventures when Prabhupada went to India and other countries. Hare Krishna. But he's also a really excellent writer, Shama Sundar. He's a particularly good writer, so it is a great read. Quick point? Unfortunately, the way he's asking the whereabouts. Uh, Very small ones un- that you first found? Yeah, um, their whereabouts is unknown. They probably don't exist anymore. I gave them to a devotee going to, I was in India and it was just too much taking care of a kid, taking care of a husband, cooking for Prabhupada and having deity. So I gave them to a person who was, um, you know, Sarab, who was, his son was going to Miraka, Hari Kirtan, to New Vrindavan to go to the school. He was a kid. And so I gave them to him because I thought he was going far away from his father and, you know, mother and so... Then a letter came from Srila Prabhupada telling that the children shouldn't have deities. Children under 10, they shouldn't have deities. So the leader of the community took the deities from the younger children. But where they went, we don't know. But Lord Jagannath is in your heart. <laughs> so Malati will be around for a cu- little while, and you can all ask your questions. I just make one comment that's very pertinent. Shil Prabhupada said, Lord Jesus Christ was a great devotee of Lord Jagannath. That's why Jagannath appeared in America. And Americans are very Christian. Lord Jagannath. Very yeah, wonderful. Yeah. I didn't hear him say it, but I heard it. Okay. So um, just 
Thank you for staying with us. What a wonderful, wonderful, uh, beautiful talk. Thank you so much. Please, again, give Malti a uh, uh, loving appreciation. We hope you come That's back. That's for Srila Prabhupada's divine grace, Srila Prabhupada Key. Yeah. <laughs>